reunion of the unwanted back September 25th, 2023. Ricky, take it away. Koala. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. But uh, hey, what's up, guys? Another Union of the Unwanted. A little reminder, of course, you can watch these live every other Monday on our Rockfin channel. And then you can find the audio available everywhere. Audio podcasts are available. The video is also eventually on our Odyssey channel. And we have a new Linktree uh, website or URL that we'll put in the show description. It'll make life way easier if you're looking for all the places to listen, watch. If you want to get some merch, uh, you have done wanted merch. You can also find that. You also find links to all our websites, our social media accounts, and much more. So definitely check that out. And uh, another... It, Another great topic pitched by Monica Perez from uh, Propaganda Report and uh, her your her soul. Well, now you also have a solo show too, so definitely check that out. But uh, we're doing parallel systems, which is a interesting topic, something we haven't done yet, and I haven't even done on the Ripple Effect podcast. So it's going to be fun for myself. I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot, and we have some uh, great returning guests and some great new guests so uh i don't know monica not to put you on the hot seat but is there a specific uh part of this uh topic that you want to hit on or any of the many guests we we brought that you maybe you want to start off with yes well i was thinking parallel mike turned me on to the holistic idea of parallel systems and he is living it in poland of unexpected places i would say and I asked him, you know, how would you define parallel systems? Like, what are the systems? Water, electricity, food, schooling, medical, like, what are the parallel systems? And he said all that. But the most important thing, and I think I'm going to let him take it away. What is the most important thing that you told me that you added to that list? Yeah, well, thanks for the invite, Monica and Charlie, and for mentioning this. I feel like I'm the, at the cool kids table. I'm super excited <laughs> to be here. So <laughs> thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, parallel systems. Yeah, it's something I've been thinking about for a long time. I live in Poland, which is actually a pretty good place to be to think about parallel systems because during communism in Central and Eastern Europe, that is essentially where the parallel systems were born. So Czech Republic, Poland, a lot of these countries had to build parallel systems to survive totalitarianism. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's a, a good thing just to have a few quick lines about what the parallel systems are, because I think what a parallel system is, it's when you recognize that the current system is not able to meet our needs anymore, but we also kind of understand that we can't go against that system face to face you know like we can't escape it we can't vote our way out of it uh, and we certainly can't force our way through it because they've got the monopoly on violence so it's kind of like this pressure cooker and it gives us this catch-22 where we're forced to kind of play the only dignified move left on the chessboard which is to create our own system within the system uh, I mean, I'm sure if we could all run, a, run away to some kind of mountain retreat where we'd be safe and happy, we'd do it. But it's not happening. We're going to have to stay within these structures. So we have to build our own. And uh, yeah, like you said, Monica, there's like an above ground parallel system. So that's going to be our uh, our communities, uh, homesteading, uh, growing food and medicines. Uh, and the big ones, which we mentioned in our message, was alternative payment systems. Uh, and the biggest one for me is communication. Uh, because the communication that actually helps us with the other part of the parallel system, which is the underground part, which is sharing information. Because as the system becomes more and more totalitarian, which will happen over the coming decade, 
it's going to be increasingly likely that we're going to have to communicate outside of the system's uh, oversight because that's how that's how you keep yourself safe. I mean, the the above ground stuff like the homesteading and the food, you can do that out in the open. You know, they can't come out and like start ripping up your gardens because that'll expose who they are, which is totalitarian shitbags. But if they if they expose that to the rest of the world, then the game's up. So they're going to have to hide the face of evil. But what they will do is spy on us. So we have to be able to deal with our communications. And I think that's what we're going to struggle with. So I'll hand it back over to you, Monica. I just remember that the first time what you're talking about entered my psyche was when Ron Paul said, all we really need to do is allow for competing money. I mean, and he said that decades ago. And even I remember when it came up where like the post office was a monopoly on post (laughs) and then the UPS and stuff, people started encroaching on that. And it just was, these were parallel systems and they were, it's not complicated. It's, it's easy enough. And the other stuff would just die away if the parallel systems were allowed an even playing field. And some people I think think Bitcoin is like, you know, a, 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 is that kind of a thing? I, I wonder if it's a stepping stone to a cashless society feeding us, you know, so they, it can be weaponized. It can be used against you. But the idea dovetails nicely with my libertarianism because it's just in, in a free market, these systems would, I mean, I, I think that they would flourish even if they didn't dominate. You, you don't even want a monopoly. You don't even want one system. You want many. Just remember that this goes all the way back to Lysander Spooner. Because he, he was competing with the postal system and you can't, right? You can't ask for a more iconic figure in American society and history that actually built the whole anarchist movement in the U.S. Without even realizing he was doing it, it happened organically. No, that's fair. And and the point about uh, counter economies is is crucial. If you don't, we all know that where the majority of the decision making across the the frozen vast hundreds of the Arctic Basin made by goons, the Bank of International Settlement. And the, as that filters down, it's the grip on centralized economies that they have results in, in a, a far too much of this control. So the, the faster that we can get away from um, these centralized plan, Rockefeller back, Bank of International Settlements, underwritten economies, the freaking better. I also wonder, Mike, if, you know, what is the difference between when you think of like the communist countries, they did not have the kind of surveillance tech that we have now. And, uh, you know, that makes it harder, I would think. And I actually asked Gabriel Custodiet from the Watchman Privacy podcast to pop on. I don't know if he's going to come, but he's the guy who stays online, but basically is off the grid. And he does that with VPNs and stuff. So he he would give an insight into that. But what's your experience? I mean, that that offers a special challenge that you can't just get from the historical, you know, example. Yeah, I think it's the most difficult one for us because they really have that whole system locked down. And, you know, even with cryptography, like I did a deep dive into that. And if you go back to the origins of a lot of the uh, cryptocurrencies, it's it's way, way back. It's like the 1970s. You know, so these guys understood those things long before the white papers ever came out. And you have to think that if they were talking about these things and working on them in the 1970s, 
there is no way on this planet that they didn't already predict Bitcoin decades before Bitcoin existed. And as we know, with modern intelligence, the way they work is they create the opposition before the opposition exists. So that when the opposition does exist, they already have control over it. That's how it works. So I'm very suspicious of a lot of the technologies that exist. And I think it's going to take some really creative people. Uh, and I'm not technological, technologically savvy. So that's what that really worries me. So my default on that, Monica, is to go back to uh, primitive ways of living, you know, like get rid of the technology. Now, that's not so easy for somebody whose uh, income is online. So <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm really exposed. So I'm, I, I, I think that's where the community comes in. We're all going to have to come together. I mean, I've got some great people in my uh, private community who are really tech savvy, but even they're terrified. Like they're telling me, Mike, you need to stay away from this. You need to stay away from cryptos. Like there's backdoors in half of these things, even the most privacy oriented ones. So, you know, I, I, th I think ultimately it's a case, it's a, we're going up against the masters when it comes to technology and cryptography. And to think we're going to beat them on that playing field, I think is naive. So we're probably going to have to skate around it somehow. So I think that's a good conversation to have. Well, I, I mean, yeah. yeah. the, 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 there's an aspect to this. Like, first of all, you go back to the Internet itself with DARPAnet. All of this was systemic. <clears throat> uh, but I will say that some of these uh, technologies are inherently porous. So there is something about keeping a system resilient that also makes it difficult to control. So the internet is distributed by its very nature and very difficult to control. And that's why they've tried to herd us into cloud platforms because they can't really control the router-based system that's out there that allows the internet to be stable. I, I share the concerns. I mean, I tell, I tell all my people who come to me for consulting, don't ever mix your technology with a cryptocurrency. That's not to say that I don't think that there are viable and flexible uh, technologies. Uh, I think there are some technologies like uh, Monero, which seem to be fairly good, fairly solid, maybe. Uh, but I'd always put that caveat on it. The reason I tell them not to mix their cryptocurrencies with their technology is because it's just it makes it so easy for them to then take your system and pull it. Okay, SEC violation, uh, you're, you're gone. So rather than going with Filecoin, which is the same people behind IPFS, go with IPFS. IPFS is not owned by anybody. It doesn't have SEC registration. Uh, but I'd also have to say there's something to be said about always looking back at primitive technologies and seeing what can I work with there. And I'll add to that also human networking. During the COVID lockdowns here in Southeast Asia, I'll tell you right now that actually anything you saw on the news about the strictness of the lockdowns was not true. And the reason it was not true is because they had an official face of how things worked. And then there was the on the grounds network of how everyone got around all of it. Well, uh, is, what, what sorry, I was going to introduce those other people just to chime in when they're ready as Daniel as uh very low-key crypto guy. I'm sure he's got opinions on this. And then if you want to talk about completely going in the other direction, Lanny from Greener Postures is back. I was going to ask Mike about electricity and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, well, 
if you know Lanny, you don't need electricity, so she'll she can preserve your food forever. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out there so people can chime in when they want to. I actually want to have a response about Matthew's comment. I'm Daniel, by the way, everybody. I uh, don't have a show or anything, but I work with Pirate Chain on their marketing team. Well, a marketing team where it's centralized, so anybody can do it. But I work and promote. You guys Pirate are Chain the bomb, by the way. You guys Thank are you. great. We try to be. But I mostly wanted to agree with Matthew here when he was talking about not mixing technology with, I think he means like other technologies with blockchains, putting other things, you know, started out as a payment network, you know, Bitcoin as a payment network. And since then, with smart contract platforms like Ethereum, they're trying to pile, basically put everything they can into a blockchain or at least incorporate a blockchain into it. And a lot of that is just people working off hype when you put blockchain into something, you know, and make a coin out of it, people buy it and people can make a lot of money. But there's also like more perverse incentives behind there because anything you put on a blockchain, with an exception of the very few private blockchains there are out there like Monero, Pirate Chain, and Darrow, but uh, it's viewable to the public for all time. So it's, it's a, you know, it's downloaded to thousands of computers all over the entire world. So you really need to be skeptical when you're trying to incorporate things other than money, even to be skeptical with money. So with, you know, Bitcoin and Pirate Chain, you should go into that uh, skeptically as well. But when they're talking about putting other information onto blockchains and, you know, using it to run complex systems and linking wallets to smart contracts, you know, these smart contract platforms on Ethereum, these different applications they have, they link your you give permission of your wallet to that smart contract and whoever issued that smart contract can do whatever with it. Basically, they can be malicious with it. It's open source so people can go and look at it and do their best to not see that there's anything malicious behind it. But that doesn't mean there's not a bug they didn't see or there's a rug pull in the future or you accidentally give permissions to a different to a, a the wrong smart contract that's mimicking the one you're trying to use and stuff like that. There's just a million ways it can go wrong which is really differentiates from Bitcoin or other proof of work blockchains where you don't give permissions over your wallet to absolutely anybody You hold the permissions yourself. And so I thought that was a great point that Matthew was making be skeptical when they're trying to tokenize everything, tokenize it and put it on a blockchain. When I hear tokenized, I hear taxable. That's what I'd so why would I want to tokenize? That's a quote. That's a slogan in a lot of crypto communities, tokenize everything. And that just sounds scary to me. Sounds like, you know, tax everything, monitor everything, and put absolutely even more of your life onto the internet than it is today. Except it's an internet that can never be deleted, that somebody's always going to have a copy of. So it's can can be scary stuff. Aren't churches kind of a example of a parallel system, right? Because they have their own finances, they have their own morals, right? Their own uh, standards for people in the community and uh it's kind of a example of how you can have a, a tribal community type of group of people and all agree on something and without uh you know government interjecting um i mean they're so detached from government they don't have to pay taxes uh that was a joke but um yeah and and then another thing i was curious about everybody's opinion on was like uh the venus project and some of these uh these projects in the past you know obviously zion guys got into it a little bit about like these these different 
ways of looking at our system. I know, uh, you know, I've had many people on the show that either hate the design guys in the Venus project or, or they love the, uh, the concept and the idea. But one thing, beneficial thing that I think that came out of those documentaries and those projects were that it kind of made people think outside the box as in like, Hey, the system we have right now isn't the only way you can create a system. It's not the only way you can have a society. It's not, you know, it's like, when you grow up using money to exchange, you know, to pay for goods, you think, oh, that's the only way things work is that, you know, and then you find out like, no, you could trade goods, you could trade, you know, there's other ways of doing things. And I think that's kind of an important thing is just understanding like sometimes a parallel system doesn't even have to be close to the system we have now. It could be com- something completely rethought. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I, there's, there's a handful of different things that you want to think about, especially if you're, you're thinking about trying to do an intentional community or something like that. And that's, you know, power, water, um, what, where's the poo go, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, churches operate alongside of the rest of, of society and they draw from, you know, municipal power, private, energy companies and they draw you know all that kind of stuff so yeah you're you're 100 correct on that then you can just go completely off-grid as the community like that and have your own water source or as an individual i hate to uh bring uncle ted into the conversation but when you read what he did i mean he literally like lived on his own and and he would have kept that could have kept that up which just shows you what it's but it's right. I used to watch this show, like, I don't know what it's called, like with Yule Hauser. I don't know what it was called. I forget, like a California show. And it was, they, there's a guy who built houses that like just are completely 100%, just a single individual dwelling unit that recycles its own water. And then they have like, like bigger recycling things where like, where does the poo go? Well, the poo goes to where, um, the methane actually generates the energy to purify the water. So I know they do that on large scale, but I saw them do it in like the size of a house. It's California's gold. Yes, California's gold. He's like got this strong Tennessee accent, <laughs> but it is it is truly gold. Yes, Huel, that guy was fantastic. Yes, yeah, he was a think, cult hero. I think it's really interesting when this conversation comes up. We can kind of jump towards what society should look like when it's all formed. But it leaves all of us normal people not feeling like that we can make any change in our lives, in our real lives, that'll actually be meaningful in any way. And so I think if we step back to thinking just like networking in our own communities where we are, start where you are right now is what I was talking with Parallel Mike about earlier this morning when we were on together. I think just making small changes like first understand where your water comes from. You turn your faucet on and it comes to you. Where does it come from? And if it's a municipal water source, where does that water pull from? If you're on like a collective well, where is that well? How does a well work? You know what I mean? Just starting where you are and moving back one step at a time, just with information. And yeah, about currency, my currency is sausage and sauerkraut. (laughs) And that's because I can buy 
a pork butt and we, my husband and I can grind it and, and spice it and make sausage. And that sausage has a higher value than the pork butt does. So by increasing your skills, you're adding value to yourself for when you do have an opportunity to join up with other people or to um, try something new. Or if you get a better property, you already have these skills that you can start to work with. So you take a cabbage for 69 cents from the store and you increase its value, its longevity, its nutritional value into sauerkraut that lasts for years to come. Right, Monica? So I think there's a lot to be said. Absolutely, yes. About starting where you are and just picking something you're interested in and start starting to increase your skills like now, not waiting for some kind of perfect thing to happen, not trying to understand the technology that's overhead or trying to get people together to group buy property and then everything's going to be perfect. It's not. We're always going to be struggling against it. So start living like you're in a parallel system now and you are. I was just reading something that said we lived without money for like, you know, tens of thousands of years. And all of a sudden it's something that's indispensable. And I think like, I think what the first money was salted fish. You know? That sounds and like valuable to me. Yes. That especially the right. salt. And I thought of this. Yes, exactly. And also, um, I always thought like hooch, booze wine, whatever, like would be an unbelievably valuable. And I said that to my husband's like, we don't really have to save for retirement if we stockpile enough wine. <laughs> He's and like, really yeah. rebellion was kind of about that. It, it was because frontier whiskey was a currency and it was untaxed and unregulated and it was used as a linchpin and kind of a catalyst for the first time that U.S. troops were set against U.S. citizens. Oh, and don't neglect skills themselves are a medium of exchange. So if you know how, if you're a carpenter, you can make things. Uh, whatever skill you have is a medium of exchange. So it's very hard. We don't really, I mean, money's convenient for store of value, I guess. But as far as getting by day to day, as long as you know how to do things and have resources, you can get by. And the tools that you need to do those things. So instead of holding money in a bank or investing it in something else, invest it in real things. I mean, I've watched the the equipment that we have today to make sausage or to press cider. Um, those things are increasing in price every day, and especially since 2020. So all of the stuff that I had, all the cro- ceramic crocs for making sauerkraut and all the things that I had before 2020, it's like those things are doubled, tripled in price sometimes. And so when we take the time to learn a skill and invest in the proper equipment to be able to perform that skill and share that skill with others by telling them we know how to do it, by teaching other people how, by um, showing people that we can provide value to them in exchange for something else, then we have that. That's something that can't be really taken away from us. And it's demonstrated that it was a parallel system when the lockdown happened because I was scrambling. This is why I was so annoyed with myself. I was scrambling to like buy whatever, like camping food, because I just thought the LA was crazy. And, uh, and if you, if, if that, if there were enough people who were not dependent on that mechanism for food, it would have had so much less power. It was just that they absolutely had the critical mass and there was nothing that, you know, people were like, we were talking about the Amish in this side, like they may have been totally unaffected by COVID because they were independent that way. And, uh, and I was also thinking if I was talking to, you were talking to Mike today, but I was talking to Shelby of Unjected and I was like, maybe, like you guys are going to be the heirloom humans, 
like the non-GMO humans. There's going to be like a parallel system of of a, a stockpile of humans like the Amish, but you know, of that. And I, you know what? They may, big T, they may let us do that so that they ha- they want that too. You think they don't have heirloom seeds everywhere? Oh, well, <laughs> well, well, you know, it, one of the things in Future Shock, uh, what was the guy that did Future Shock? Anybody remember the name of the author? Uh, yeah, Toffler. Toffler. Al, Alvin Toffler, yeah. Alvin Toffler. He had that in the book that there would be enclaves of more primitive technologies preserved. That was part of the plan. That would explain it because they, they, I like in a fugue state ordered Ted Kaczynski's book like a week before lockdown started. It showed up on my doorstep. I was like, how did this happen? And I was like, oh, I was watching forensic files and I was like, oh, there's a book. And I just, just didn't even remember doing it. And I thought, and then I read it. I was like, oh my gosh, I should have known how to live off the grid. And I thought, this is weird that they planted this in my brain just now. I, th- I think one thing that's worth commenting on, and it goes back to what you were saying, Lanny, uh, is how wealth is actually created because we've been seduced over the past 50 years into thinking that wealth's created by making money out of money. You know, we turn $1 into $2 into $4, but that's not how wealth's created. Wealth's created by applying our finite resources of time and energy into mother nature. That's how you create wealth. We extract things. Uh, and like, People who can do that, who know how to do that, are essentially the banks. Like, that's the new bank. It's Lanny. It's somebody who's applying the time and energy, the finite resources into nature and extracting wealth because we're not going to be able to make money out of money anymore. That's going to go once this system comes down. So I think the wealth creation, it is you. Like, you are the ultimate resource. Uh, and, you know, where I live, it's still like that. So when I'm, like, driving... The other day, we we did like a seven-hour drive. And as we go through the forest, you find all these little old ladies beside the side of the road with uh, baskets full of mushrooms. And they've 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 created the wealth. I mean, they've gone in the forest. They've spent like five, six hours picking those mushrooms. And then someone like me will stop, and I'll buy some on the way home to, to eat for my tea. But, you know, that's old-school wealth creation. They're out there in the forest just putting their time and energy into nature. And I, th- I think that's going to be how we create the wealth in the future. It's not going to be... Uh, you know, I don't know how long the podcasting game is going to be around if they, they have it on lockdown. I'm not sure. But one thing we can always do is just go out and forage. You know, we can always go out and plant and we can always sell that to people who, for whatever reason, have a little bit more excess resources than we do. Maybe they've got something to trade and barter with us. Uh, I know in communism, it was a lot, a lot of it was good. So it was like my father-in-law told me that he used to go to Germany and import bicycle helmets he smuggled them actually they were illegal to bring across it he'd smuggle them across and then they'd trade them because there was no bicycle helmets in poland you just couldn't get them so that's what he smuggled in uh yeah so i think i think i think the things to think about is actually yeah maybe go back in time a little bit when it goes to the economy too because this financialized system i don't think that lasts oh it's interesting because i think you learn a lot from being poor because there's a lot of people who live good lives because of the things that they do and the skills they have, not because of the money that they have to buy the things. Well, you know, I I live in a developing nation and that's what I see day to day. I mean, of course, we've got American style systems here that are in the major metropolitan areas. But once you get to the edge, the fringe of those metropolitan areas, and everywhere else, everyone makes a living day to day. And I was just talking to one of my relatives yesterday, and he said that there were guys in my city that could make 
four times the minimum wage just helping people park their car. Yeah. No. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm like, but one thing that we also should talk about is how the government, the empire, the whoever you want to refer to, uh, those in power don't want you to have any type of parallel systems. I mean, there's states where you can't you can't be off the grid. Uh, they, I think, the first suburb there's uh, I forget what it was called. It was in like New York or Long Island somewhere where they, you know, one of the purposes was to make people dependent on the system. Like they wanted to decay communities. They wanted people to to think that the dream was living in a community where you didn't know your neighbors, you could pull your car in the garage, shut the garage, you didn't talk to anybody. But if you needed anything, right, you needed to go to the store, you needed to go to the government, you needed, you know, those type of things. So it's like you can see how so many of the things that uh, mold our system that we live in now make you more dependent on the system, right? I mean, you get a lot of people who who talk about the same thing with um, universal uh, healthcare or universal income, like any of these things. It's like, even in theory, if there's some people there who, who are promoting these ideas, who maybe have their heart in the right place, at the end of the day, it's going to be weaponized at some point. And, uh, and maybe that's the purpose right from the beginning. Another factor of that is they don't want us to have savings. So they go out of their way to make sure that you don't have any surplus. And I always think of that as financial. But and part of what Mike was saying about the ladies picking the mushrooms, the preservation of that effort, the product of that effort, like what Lanny does, is a part of that and is savings. So it's not just skills or whatever, but you can actually stockpile that and preserve some value and then yes you your neighbors would come knocking i think at some wouldn't, point but i never thought of that where it's you wouldn't be the first time i've sold mushrooms to strangers <laughs> you do allegedly. live in colorado allegedly <laughs> and to ricky's question i mean with all due respect fuck them because they're i'm it's uh you if you know that these people don't like you, if you know that they have an agenda that is technocratic in nature, that they're authoritarian to a totalitarian, that, that they're marching forward with an agenda, then what you can do is try to make where you are as secure as humanly possible and you don't ask permission. You build out that community because they have to enforce their nonsense and if you're a much better neighbor and a much better community partner then the people who have to show up to talk to you are going to be way more willing to hear your side of it if you get drone struck out of existence then you get drone struck out of existence and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it but chances chances are really like the amount of trouble that you got to cause for that in the first place at least in the first 50 100 150 years freaking astronomical yeah i agree 100 percent. that's how we get by here that that there's so many regulations and they all get ignored because who who's gonna enforce them uh, there has to be a motivation to do it and even on the u.s side i've heard story after story after story about you know covid protocols they didn't get enforced outside of major metropolitan areas and then because selectively the sheriff wouldn't do it that. sorry say that again 
Oh, I, I said selectively in most places at that. Well, that's a, another aspect of this is debt ensl enslavement, right? Like why they force, you know, or basically tell every child like, hey, your path to success and, and you know, the basically the only road that anybody should go down is you go to school, you end up going to a university, you get a high paying job. But by the way, you're in massive debt. You know, you're given credit cards to keep, you know, to pay for things that you can't afford. And now you're stuck at a job with no flexibility and you have to keep that job, even if it's unfulfilling or if you want to try something new, you can't. You don't have that flexibility because you have these bills are coming in every month. And it just, you know, it, it, it's another way of enslaving the masses. Absolutely. The breakdown of the traditional family, turning us into the nuclear family. And then the breakdown further of the nuclear family, and now here we are with with debt and and jo no jobs for the you know time you put in in college. How lucky I am that my husband and I are both high school dropouts. <laughs> After all this time of being ashamed of that in my life, I'm like now I'm really proud that we spend our time learning things and and reading books and talking to people and learning skills. It's like now we have something to show for it, and we have zero debt. It's like, so we don't have that slave feeling where we have to continue working these jobs. We can survive on very little money because we have resources and skills to build those into things that we can actually use and trade for. Like I, I worked out, uh, we get a half a cow from a local farm that lasts our family for a year. And with that, I asked for them to give us the fat. The fat comes in a big blob and I cut it up. I render this. So I have grass fed beef tallow, which I then make that's for cooking best French fries ever. I make soap. I make tallow balm, which is for your skin. I make salves for different kinds of other problems. And then people that want that can trade with me. And then I put the word out to the, to the freedom community that if anybody else was getting a cow and they didn't know what to do with their fat, I would teach them or I would uh, do that for them. And in turn, I would keep some of the fat. So I have, I think, seven different people that I've gotten these giant masses of fat that I've worked through this year. So I'm improving my skills at rendering. I'm improving my products because I'm getting more practice. These people know that I have these things and they're telling their friends. And so all of a sudden you have these network of people and this fat is the currency. And it's a, it's a really a beautiful thing. I'm so fucked. I don't know how to do any of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, I forget where who who was saying this, and I've been saying this forever. There, somebody I I heard uh, regurgitated recently. They're like, "There's a reason why they don't plant any uh, fruit trees all over cities and and you know towns or whatever." It's like we spend so much money on dumb trees that do nothing. Besides, like, usually, like, you know, pull up the sidewalks when the roots go under it or get too close to the houses and then, uh, you know, the residents get mad about it. But, like, why not just plant, you know, food trees, you know, fruit trees everywhere? I mean, I have a pear tree in my yard. I've been living at this house for, like, eight years. Uh, no, longer than that. Probably 10 years. And don't do absolutely anything to it. And I get tons of pears. I share them with friends and family. Uh, we do. People are always like, oh, how, how do you get so many pears out of this tree? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, maybe when I came home hammered back in the day, I used to, you know, urinate on it, you know, the, the vitamins. That are helps. Uh, <laughs> and and yes. let me tell you, one thing I've learned from dabbling in agriculture is that the, the universe is abundant. It's absolutely overflowing. There should never be any shortages for anything. No, well, you think... 
Cordless. Like how? Like it, it's not a bad option to have like apple trees and pear trees all over the place, and you could grab something. Like God forbid yep. they struggle a little bit or suffer a little bit less uh, by putting these trees there. Like I don't. It, it's obvious that like what they're trying to do is get you, you know, just dependent on them and and big corporations, and you know that's Kid, why Kissinger Kissinger doctrine, right? Make everybody dependent on food. And you know what's crazy is before COVID, it seemed like there's this uptake in like mom and pop bakeries and coffee shops all over the place. And people were really appreciating the small business. They're like, you know what? I don't want to give my money to the big corporate chain who doesn't give a crap about, you know, uh, you know, my money. They don't give a crap about giving me quality uh, products. Uh, you know, the, 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 you know, it just, it's, it, why would I want to give them the, uh, my money for the same price or, and sometimes even less? I can give a mom and pop. A place that is a part of the community will reinvest the money that they make at this business back in the community. And then COVID came and they just squashed all that. And they're like, how about we just demolish every little small business and just funnel all that money to the top? Because, you know, when we're all broker, I mean, that money is going somewhere and it's just, it's not disappearing. You know, it's going to the top, but just now it, we have less of it. And it's going up to the, the 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 big corporations, and um, you know, people people like to argue: is it government? Is it mono- monopolies and these corporate? It's like they're bo- it's both. They're all in bed together. It's all the same thing. Yep. Well, you know, if you also take a look at real quick um, what's happening in Chicago, right? Like the the crime has gotten so bad that all these businesses have left. So now the government, now the city, is now going to take over. The, the grocery stores. So now you have the government controlling food and uh, not to get too religious, but, you know, I just started to read the Bible because I find it very interesting. And uh, if you get into Genesis, basically, I think 11, um, it talks about, you know, man discovered brick and started creating, you know, cities. And that's where Babylon, came, uh, uh, the Tower of Babel came and it's kind of made me think about like, and I've said this forever, that like these giant big cities are just free range reservations where they make us feel like we have free will and stuff, but they bombard us with drugs, alcohol, and all these means of control. So like what everybody's saying here totally fits in, especially if you live in the, again, these giant cities. I don't think human beings are meant to live in huge cities like this. You know, we've seen where, you know, they've done experiments with mice and like what happens when mice get overpopulated in a little area? What happens to them? We see very unusual behaviors, running in gangs, alternative lifestyles, all this weird stuff starts to happen. And so, yeah, I think this really resonates with me. The the big control is the food. And again, if you look at what they're going to do in San Francisco, because everyone's leaving there and they're already starting to do in Chicago. Now they're going to control all the food and the food you can buy is probably the worst food you could probably get. Well, the, the other thing, yeah, it, it kind of it sparks also the conversation about these alternate uh, technologies, right? You, we've talked a lot about Tesla throughout the years and, and you know, what he was trying to do, give everybody free energy. Like, why were these things suppressed? Because, again, it, it makes you dependent on their technology. And now, you know, a lot of these conversations about, like, why is there such hatred towards, you know, Graham Hancock and, and what he's doing? And maybe they, they're worried about, like, taking one 
closer step to maybe discovering that the way we look at things isn't necessarily the way things work and we have things wrong. And maybe there is a way of like manipulating sound and, and, you know, uh, whatever, you know, moving things or getting power or energy, just rethinking the society we have. And, um, you know, there is, you know, a lot of people talk about like, you know, lost, uh, technology or whatever. It's either lost or it could be suppressed because you figure maybe somebody has access to it. You know, obviously we know that Nikolai Tesla's, uh, you know, everything that was in his apartment were take was taken by the, the FBI or CIA, one of the two. And um and you know, and who knows what happened afterwards. And the- Donald Trump's uncle, oh, John that's, Trump. Yeah, that's from right. MIT, he's the one who took it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Obsessed with uh with with finding a UFO. They were obsessed with uh ancient technologies and you know, there's been a lot of really uh, interesting people just, you know, who, who really were obsessed with this idea that maybe there's a, some technology that was lost or some information that was lost throughout the years or suppressed. Like I said, you know, duh. so well, it, let me tell, let me tell you coming from, I, I have a degree in physics and having trained under people that were at Oak Ridge and at, uh, uh, the one out in California, Caltech. There is a lot of suppression, and the suppression's in a very interesting way. They have trillions of dollars funneling into stuff that's absolutely going to go nowhere. You know, dark energy, dark matter, all of that stuff is nonsense. That's not a real thing. So they're funneling all this money to find dark matter, and they're never going to find it because there isn't such a thing. That's one way to suppress innovation. And I can also tell you from firsthand experience being told, don't dig through the stacks, because I used to do that as a freshman. Go through the stacks of the science library and read old journals. Being told, don't waste your time doing that. Hindsight, I listened whenever they told me that. I should never have listened, because that's how you learn stuff. You go back and find out what people did in the past. I've heard two stories recently of people doing high-level research in universities and being maybe it was even in in a like in the media being spied on like through the walls and stuff and they're just to make sure that the stuff they were coming up with which could have like serious ethical implications that they themselves as individuals young graduate students or whatever wouldn't suppress it like from their own point of view and uh you know their own volition so and i also think like the mars stuff i don't know if anyone's ever actually seen a picture of devon island once that might be what's on mike's thing that might be that screensaver he's got right there there's or it could be supposedly mars because once you see a picture of devon island like it's almost impossible to believe that they're zipping around mars and i think you know my suspicion is that they take that money and that and it's for you know, research that they really aren't, isn't above board, but I didn't even think of them just burning money that way. Well, it's, it's all fake money anyway, right? <laughs> but wasn't that the story with Star Wars, right? That whole project during the Reagan administration that they basically just made up a bunch of crap and they were just taking everybody's money. And, and that's the thing. Well, about- it's like NASA itself. What was the, was, what was the goal of NASA? The goal of NASA was not to go out and discover things out in the solar system. It was to actually monitor what was going on on Earth. 
I thought it was to transition Nazis slowly into American society. That too. That too. Well, it was all founded by <laughs> Satanists. I know because I was living in Pasadena for a while, and that's where Jack Parson is at. Like he started the rocket stuff at Pasadena City right. College. And started, I think JPL came out of that. I think he might have done some stuff at Caltech. He did blow himself up in some kind of experiment on well, Orange Grove. You, you know, since you mentioned uh, Kaczynski earlier, you should go read Ashok Eliu's work on propaganda. At Eliu, E-L-L-U-L, was one of the people Kaczynski kept on his book. <laughs> yes, but he, he was a Christian and he was the opposite of what, that's when I think that, Ted Kaczynski had the MK Ultra stuff to derail him from right. the natural conclusion of Elul, which was uh, peaceful. Right. Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you came to that conclusion because some people don't quite go that far. Uh, and I know that LU was definitely controversial in even Christian circles. He, he was quite controversial and I think very much misunderstood. I didn't uh, realize that because I just read yeah. it like on its face. I didn't read about him. Yeah. Toffler, who wasn't a Christian, he was a Yaley, I think. Uh, he hated Elliot because honestly, I think Elliot had part of the answers, some of the answers to the problems that we have. Uh, and I think he's been suppressed. And this is, he wrote the Technological Society also. He so wrote 50 books. For, yes, yes. And the main one was Technological Society. But after that, you need to read his work on propaganda. Yes, I have them. I do for yeah, sure. And, yeah, it's in, interesting. In propaganda, he says that the occult is a mechanism for controlling the wealthy of society. Oh, nice. Yeah, I always wondered about that. Like, <laughs> what's the real is do they actually believe that black magic works or is the whole point that the people they enthrall need to believe it and it doesn't need to go further than that that's what i think is going on you get these people who are actually believing it they're not the ones in control <laughs> they're the ones being they're under control and let me add one other thing in his religious work the meaning of the city he going back to what sam said earlier he traces uh part of technique all which is the term Ellie yes. used to talk yes. about technology right how you use technology it, it, see the meaning of the city was one of his theological works and in it he traces the building of the first walled city by Cain as being the beginning of like the next fall well I will add that this um, the whole Jack Parsons thing uh, with the rockets and all that was closely associated with Satanism and science fiction. So Alistair Crowley was there. L. Ron Hubbard was there. Religion, you can see how they... Walt they Disney was there. Together. Walt Disney was yeah. a part of it as well. It's like super... I like everybody involved with like perpetrating a, a giant lie upon the masses. It's like it's very interesting. I do believe that L. Ron Hubbard was just a U.S. Naval intelligence officer sent in to infiltrate, you know, Jack Parsons' group. And then that basically Scientology is a giant naval intelligence blackmailing operation to basically get information on who in L.A. and Hollywood seems to be mostly gay uh, and how to manipulate and control those guys. That's You see how they operate. It's like exactly how an intelligence operation works. And in ships, and, by the way. Yeah. You know, they go out Admiral. on ships. 
admiral. It's <laughs> also a fantastic real estate scam. Scientology, they got some of the best buildings in every downtown area and every major city. That's but I, true. The one in Pasadena is amazing. But I will say Tom Cruise is right about prescription drugs. I will say I agree with it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, he's right, man. Like when it comes down to like depression, anxiety, like there's so many natural ways of going about you it. You have to be right. You have to be right to get people in, right? So it's even right. like when like you talk about like or Operation Trust, right? Which is like the predecessor to Q. And I always said that. It's like, dude, the information has to be real, most of it. You're always going to have crazy stuff because that keeps the normies out. But the, the corral, the the, the most, you know, paranoid and suspicious, you've got to give them the true stuff to get them hooked in. And that ends up being how you basically corral them. So, yeah, man, there's always going to be some truth in it. You have to have mostly truth and then uh, 10% crazy just to kind of separate, divide and conquer. Well, and, you know, that's LEU again. Two principles of propaganda I learned from his work. One Good propaganda is mostly true with a little, with a just enough lie to get to convince people to go the direction you want them to go in. And the other thing is, propagandists should never believe the things that they're saying because the minute that they believe what they're saying, they become an ineffective propagandist. Boy, these media people do seem to believe what they're saying, though, and a lot of the politicians, too. I mean, that what you what you just said kind of conflicts with what I've always thought about when people say, well, it can't be a conspiracy because somebody would tell. And I always say, well, people, they don't understand it. They So they are just, you know, in the Manhattan Project, and they're like, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because it's the right thing to do to build this bomb to kill these people. I don't know. <laughs> and they just did it out of the goodness of their heart or because they didn't know. Uh, it it's I all kinda, tears. I right? kind of all tears. You're to compartmentalize or disassociate if you're just acting. If you don't believe what you're saying, it, all these guys come from you know the same casting agency and all that kind of nonsense too. If you're just going out and reading the script, and then you leave the studio and you're off and you're having a fabulous dinner. And then you go from your fabulous dinner to hear some awesome music, and then you go back to your really nice house, go get in your comfy bed, wake up, go do, you know read the script all over again. That's probably way easier than buying your own bullshit. Yeah, I right. You know, and I I think when people say that, it's just so ridiculous. This idea that like, oh, somebody would say something. It's like there's tons of examples of one people not saying anything like you said the manhattan project but you can even look at like just like special ops right how many operations are going on all over the world black sites you know where they're torturing people and we nobody ever talks you know all but you if, have to do is kill one person and that they, they know and i heard right. after the boston marathon bombing they took people in for grief counseling and yep. after they walked out like mom's the word and 100 percent. That's the whole thing. It's like people do say something and then they just get annihilated. Everything. They lose their families. They, I mean, look at uh, Gary Webb. Right. I mean, like, look what happened to that guy. He brought it out and they, he lost his family. And then he ended up in a hotel room committing suicide with two bullets in his head, too. Not just one, but decided to finish off with two. So it's Danny Castellaro, it, Anthony Bourdain, yeah. I would add. 
Oh, yeah. But you're all, these are all high profile people that would have gotten a lot of attention. You know, I, I hear stuff from retired, you know, people here that they just tell me, yeah, I saw this, I saw that. And they, they spoke out, but they're like, they wouldn't go on the news and say it, but they'd tell it to you over coffee. Well, before we, we started recording, we were talking about Chris Emery and his uh, documentary uh, on the OKC bombing. I remember watching that, and there's all these eyewitnesses <laughs> that are saying like they saw other people. And it's like, it's funny. I'm like, every huge event that people are like, oh, no, it happened the way the government and the media told you it happened. It's like, no, no, it happened this way. They're like, oh, somebody would have said something. I'm like, they did. There's tons of videos of people actually saying they saw something different than what the media is telling you they saw. And those people are either silenced or nobody interviews them, nobody follows up with them. I mean, the JFK assassination has endless examples of that, of people who just... I was going to say, I was going to say, like a hundred people that died mysteriously after JFK. This book, which turned me on to the truth about 9-11, which I think was a whitewash anyway, because it isn't really the truth. It's called The Big Bamboozle by Philip Marshall. This guy supposedly killed himself and his two kids and his two dogs. And I just, you know, I was like, mm. well, you lost you, me at the dogs. dogs. don't talk, right? You can't, you can't leave. Right. Anything. Would you kill your dog? Like you're, you wouldn't, who's going to kill the dogs? The guy who's coming in to kill your family. Yeah. Yeah. That happens. I mean, uh, Corbett has, James has a, a great series. Uh, what is it? Um, something of the suicided. Oh my God. Now I'm forgetting what, what this, Requiem of the Requiem. suicided. Yes, exactly. And it just has story after story of people who spoke out or attempted to and had mysterious deaths and uh, some of them being the people we, we discussed, Gary Webb and others and uh, Castellero from uh, The Octopus and uh, you know, the, it just it, there's so many examples of that. The guy um, Hastings, right? Michael Hastings who got in a, uh, a mysterious car accident yeah. and you know, all that type of stuff. So it, without a doubt, like, you know, Andrew people- Breitbart. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I had uh, read this book called the ice man and he was a, a hitman who was in jail and like, for whatever reason, decided to write a book about the 70 people he killed. And one of them, he said was his favorite thing was just to go up to somebody and with a spray bottle of mist and just missed their faces. And they would just die of a heart attack on the sidewalk. And I was a little, uh, that Breitbart thing, it's like, wow, that like it reads exactly like this, but who knows? Mm-hmm. It, it would, well, I haven't went down that rabbit hole in a long time. What's the theory on why they sil- silenced them? Is there is there a dominant theory? The idea really- was smoking gun stuff, and I mean, I I um that the idea was that he had something that was going to blow the lid off of Obama, but you know, I have this book by Webster Tarpley that blows the lid off of Obama. Like it just, nobody cares. Like, I guess if it was Breitbart, it would have had a little more weight, but they could have marginalized him. You know, that, that, then they, then they call you crazy. after you, that you take that turn. So I really don't know. Hey guys, I got I got to shoot. Can I pump my product for a minute? Absolutely. Matt, please right. tell everybody where they can get content safe.co. Yeah. Contentsafe.co, we redistribute videos for content creators, but we are also adding risk management software to our system where we can go through your transcript and tell you what your chances are of getting deplatformed on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, And we're also planning to do some fancier stuff with uh, AI, hopefully next year. 
I'm partnering with a data center, which seems to be really good folk, uh, very freedom of speech oriented. They're, they don't have any ties to big tech. They totally own their data center and they're a tier one data center. So uh, looking good. Thank you guys. Right I loved it. I always thanks love Matt for coming on. We always appreciate you and listen, contentsafe.co. Go check it out. If you're a content creator, consider using Matt to syndicate your content. And um Yeah, thanks. Can hey, I mention something since we since we're oh, yeah. talking about uh parallel systems and that's kind of where we started off with this whole thing? Like we do have to interact with the existing system right now for a, a, for reality and and I would like for I'd like to just this to be a gentle reminder to people to reevaluate the relationship you have with your bank because if you're keeping your money in your bank account you're really asking for trouble at this point and we sort of do that on autopilot and I think it might just be time to just give it another thought about maybe decentralizing yourself from a bank in which you are uh, third in line to your money should the bank go belly up. And, and, and that's just not to be paranoid and not to freak people out, but just to the extent that you can deleverage yourself and you're thinking about it and it hasn't, you know, the, the big shit storm hasn't really happened yet. Like it might be a good idea to just kind of, you know, start thinking about that. Yeah, they've already put into legislation the bank bailings now. You know what happened in Cyprus? Uh, yeah, after Cyprus, when banks. they when they gave every everybody a nice haircut, you yeah, saw then, how we're going. But now it's everywhere. The the whole yeah. the whole of the West, we've got the legislation in, and uh, you know another thing that has recently. <laughs> Oh, this one's going down a rabbit hole. But the other thing that has been uncovered recently is that all of the equities, all of our securities, stocks and bonds, the whole lot has been put up as collateral for the derivatives complex, which is like the two to four quadrillions in toxic dog shit debt that the financial system is loaded with. All of the all of the equities, everything, all of the pension funds, it's all being put up legally as collateral. So in the next crisis, it's not just the bank deposits that go. It's everything. Like they'll take the lot and they can legally do it. So uh yeah, don't don't want to give you all nightmares, but I thought I'd throw that one into the mix too. John John, how are you? Hey, what's up, brother? I'm great. Oh y'all got a whole yeah, crew here. I just switched it to gallery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We got uh we've been talking parallel systems and you know, one thing I wanted to put to everybody is like where where's a great place to start? Like what is what is de- what what should be the first step if somebody wants to live in a parallel to begin their parallel system? Like I live in Los Angeles. You know, it's not my favorite place, but like where's a great place to go? Like what do you guys think? I know some people live in Texas, some people live in Florida, some people live outside the United States. What's everybody's thoughts on like where the best place to go would be? I think Texas is great. That's where I'm from. Um, uh, Ricky invited me to come on. I thought it was uh, seven central time. So that's my bad. That's why I came in. I was like, oh, wow, what's going on here? But uh, yeah, I like Texas. Texas has a lot of freedom people. My name's John Bush. I do Live Free Academy for folks that may not be familiar. Um, we have a solid 
Freedom Crew here in Central Texas. Texas is a very independent country. People are very, uh, you know, they have rugged individualism. The government's more conservative. It's definitely, it's a, it's a good conservative. It's not ideal, but it's definitely preferable to California and New York. And I just wanted to echo on something Charlie was saying about, you know, we still have to interact with the legacy system in addition to doing everything we can to opt out and navigate around it. Um, I try to teach people this inside outside strategy, understanding that a lot of people have mortgages. A lot of people have kids in a good school or whatever. Well, there are not very many good public schools, but, uh, you know, people, I, I own a house. We have a homestead. I pay mortgage and I pay property tax. And so we don't want anybody to put themselves at risk or what they've worked for, but also understand that with the CBDC system that's being rolled out and with the instability in the banking system, it's extremely prudent to start building a life outside of the system, especially when it comes to trade and commerce using alternative currencies, Monero, Bitcoin, and ideally trading with other freedom people to purchase food from farmers markets and local cattle ranchers, right? And the idea is you don't necessarily have to abandon your mainstream life and everything many people have worked very hard for, but you should be prepared for the prospect that as the CBDCs are implemented, for example, if they say it's net, in order for you to continue to use this CBDC system and pay your taxes or pay the property tax or pay for your mortgage, you're going to have to be up to date on your shots. Then for me, that's a line in the sand. That's where I say, you know what? I'm, I'm trying to do what I can. I'm paying my taxes like a good citizen and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and move all the way outside the system. And people need to at least have a foundation prepared to do that, or they're going to be in a difficult situation like many were that work for corporate jobs when they were faced with the potential of losing their job unless they took the shot. So that's, uh, I think, something for important pe for people to say, because a lot of people hear what we're talking about, parallel economy, opt out, use crypto, and they think like, you know, we got to just abandon everything we've worked for. But I would encourage people to at least work towards being prepared to opt out and then when it comes to ultimately opting out, because it does never feels good when I pay my 10, file my 1040, we're going to need, it might be an intergenerational struggle and we need to build the rails and the infrastructure to allow for a peaceful transition to a total exit. No. What's, what Sam was saying, asking, like, where do people start? I, I think that question can be so hard for normal people, especially if you're in the city, like how do you get started to do anything? And I would really recommend no matter where you are, find where the closest farm is to you that you could purchase something from and purchase from them and get to know them. So find someone who is creating something. They're raising cattle and you need beef. You like to eat, you're going to do it anyway. Odds are you're going to get better quality product and probably for cheaper than what you're buying at the grocery store. If you're buying in bulk, especially if you can get an extra freezer and so you can buy your meat in bulk, get a better quality product, get to know those farmers. They're going to take care of their customers first if something does happen. And so if you're already there and you're already on their list, then you have that relationship. And beyond that, just start to build skills, anything, whatever you are interested in, just start to get better at those things and have the tools that you need to do them so that you have something to offer if you do end up needing to go and team up with other people. Because walking and i hate it when people say oh well if shit hits the fan we're coming to your homestead i'm like well, no you're not because you don't <laughs> you have nothing to offer but the people who say that that you know they have tools and they have skills they know how to do something i don't know yeah i'm welcome but if you if you're just kind of waiting 
until you have to do something and playing video games, then try to figure out a way to spend your time where you're kind of working towards the goals of being able to be a useful person. And Lonnie's nailing it. I do every Thursday on AM wake up. We have Texas slim from the beef initiative to come on for a little bit and drop some knowledge. And one of the things that he's, you know, said as a mantra is that you have to establish a relationship with the people who grow and produce your food. And if you're not doing it, you can do that basically anywhere. And if you're in some, if you're just completely locked into some sort of food desert community, there are all kinds of people like Slim, like Lonnie, like ton of people who have services that are available that will put you, you know, that, that will put you within direct access, uh, direct market access of people who are doing just that. Like these things exist. You could take little steps every day to to get yourself a little bit freer from dependence on, on the corporate state. And I Apple. think there's a lot of resources. Uh, the Weston A. Price Foundation is a great w- resource because you can find other people in uh, your local community that are also interested in eating ancestral foods. And those people are looking for farms that are raising their animals correctly. And if you can hook up with them, a lot of them, they have group buying things that are already going on that you can get in on where somebody's trucking in the raw milk and the, the, the eggs and the grass fed beef from whatever closest farm there is. So that there's like all these resources online, like freedom cells or wherever else that you can meet people that are having, you know, that have this understanding that you have and then kind of figuring out how you can navigate this together. And they'll let you work on the farm sometimes. So I know a couple of different people. One, I, I think Adam from Denver Gets Red Pilled said how disturbing it was. Like the first time he broke a chicken's neck, like it was disturbing. And that day by the last chicken, like it was more disturbing that it was no longer at all disturbing. <laughs> but I also know somebody else who like I, I it was in upstate New York. So like if you think people in California, just you think like everything grows here. But Upstate New York, like what Ricky was saying about the fruit trees and everything, so much grows in that area. It's unreal. And I was up there visiting uh, the green anarchist, Bellamy Fitzpatrick, a while ago. I I don't think he even still um, does podcasts or anything. But his wife was like, oh, yeah, I just spent the day eviscerating chickens and I got paid in eviscerated chickens. (laughs) You know, and that she needed to do is just show up and she was learning stuff and she was getting food and developing relationships with people who had you know she didn't want to she doesn't want to have to grow every single thing herself she does permaculture she doesn't do the animals i don't think so it was just it's just uh you don't have to just barter you can actually trade services for and there's that. Th- those skills that you have that you have to offer right like in a couple weeks i'm actually gearing up to help some uh, local people butcher their chickens because I've gotten quite quick at that evisceration part of it. And they have like a hundred to do. And I said, I'll trade you because my kid goes to their uh, learning center for two days a week for a homeschool supplement. So I'm going to trade for, for, you know, childcare essentially to be able to just go and work with chickens. And I'm going to in turn get better at butchering chickens because of my experience. So it's like twofold it's paying you. And I think that's a really positive thing. And that's why they're pushing the meatless Mondays and getting everybody on their fake ass food because they want. I mean, I grew up, I was born, like many of you probably know, I was born in northern Portugal. My parents are farmers. They still live like farmers. They kill chickens. They, they have goats. They have, you know, rabbits. They, they grow everything. 
And uh, so I grew up watching my mother skin a rabbit. It wasn't a big deal. Like to me, like going to a butcher shop and seeing meat cut and blood, you know, it just, it was just me understanding that life requires other life to survive. That's just, you know, and my kids are no different. I bring them to a local butcher shop. They see the meat cut. So they understand where the food comes from. We talk about, you know, sometimes when we're at my, my parents' house and we're eating something like, Hey, this is a chicken from the backyard. And it's like the concept to them is very normal. And that, because they grew up in that way, like they don't look at it like it's weird or, you know, or crazy that you're killing a animal with your bare hands or whatever it may be. But that's the world that they're trying to mold where like nobody will have the courage to do it. Or if you do, you think it's morally wrong, even though you're just eating some plant that is also alive and probably much more intelligent than we understand. And uh, it just doesn't have a mouth to scream while you're chewing it. But it's, you know, it's also alive. And so it just you could see the trend where it's like they want you off the foods that you know, and we keep talking about controlling the food, right? Like you off the foods that you can grow and things you can pick and things you could kill that, you know, you could basically survive on your own and then onto their foods, you know, the foods that are patent and you can profit from and are genetically modified and is fake beef and fake this and fake that. So it, it's all a part of the bigger agenda. Yeah, we call it a meat-filled Monday in our house, and I try to make a big roast or roast a chicken or something, you know, so, or, you know, make some beef liver, I, you know, but um, I think that what you're saying is so true. They want us to be afraid of our food, and they want us to not understand it, and that even comes down to, like, food poisoning and the food safety and people not understanding how I don't die because I leave uh, sauerkraut on the counter to ferment, and so there's all this misunderstanding of how botulism works, salmonella, there's these words thrown around that we don't know, that we know people can die from they can get sick and people don't really understand how they work and to not get botulism poisoning you need to know how botulism works you need to know how to grow botulism to not grow botulism but they don't ever tell you that part of it and so it tries to make it really mysterious and very scary and yeah death related to food has to is separate and everything's just in their little styrofoam container and and wrapped in cellophane and we don't see the blood and i think there's such value in understanding where our food comes from and how it works and why it's safe when it comes from nature and and it's just uh that's something that we have to go out and seek out and relearn and teach each other. And these things also create communities. When my parents make sausage, Portuguese people make chorizo, they bring the family over, friends, they come together, they eat, they drink together. Uh, you know, so it's creating community. You know, Sam's always talking about spirituality. I think there is a war. I don't know if it's a, a specific religion, if it's all religions or if it's all everything that creates community. So religion's just a part of that. But you can say, oh, go ahead, Monica. Sorry. No, I was just going to say the religion thing. Like, I love meaty Monday. And if you're going to give up meat on one day, do it on Friday. I mean, I'm not even saying you have to be Catholic. I'm just saying make a nod that there are there are you know there is a heritage of that kind of practice. And it was a part of, you know, ethical or moral practices and may have a reason to sacrifice or, um, you know, to eat fish because it's good for you. But uh, yeah, like they 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 wouldn't do it in a way that gave any kind of credibility to uh, religion as a, a, a community with with history. 
There's this uh, great quote from Kissinger. I don't know. Maybe he said it, maybe he didn't. But he said, who controls the food supply controls the people. Who controls the energy can control whole continents. And who controls the money can control the world. And so it's obvious those are three main areas that this cabal is aiming to control and in large part controls, at least for most people. And the food is just so fundamental because obviously without food, you can't eat. But like I was saying, it's something that brings people together. It's non-controversial. You know, you know, eating a meal or just chatting about food, chatting about gardening too. People always open up, whether they're left or right or awake or NPC or whatever. You can strike up conversations about food. Um, we did, whenever there was all this talk about inflation, not talk about it, the the grocery store prices, the grocery prices were ridiculous. Um, and there was food supply chain shortages after COVID. We hosted some Freedom Cell meetups here in Central Texas, which, by the way, anybody could join the Freedom Cell Network, freedomcells.org. There's like 40,000 of us globally, or at least 40,000 registered on the website, maybe more people that aren't registered. And it's just all about connecting with people, working on exit and build goals, growing your own food, getting the kids together, trading with one another, hiring one another, supporting one another, potlucks, socials. But we hosted a meetup and the whole purpose was like, let's identify food producers in our area, identify food producers within our community, and then you know raise your hand if you don't have any food production going on at your place, whether it's a, pot, a container garden in your backyard, let's say a pot garden, <laughs> that too, um, or you got you know an acre out in the country. Um, it's the people power is what it's all about because where some people have a weakness, I'm in the city, I'm tied to this job or like I got, I have dual, dual custody with my kids, so I can't move, whatever it may be. The folks that are out in the country, if you're connected to them, then you guys can support one another. And like what we're trying to do with the Freedom Cell Network too is like make trade routes and such. So maybe you got the agricultural part of town that's like an hour or two away. And then you have people that are in a downtown city center. Well, through connecting with other people along the way, maybe we could have people go bring food here and there. So, yeah, the food's super important. And, of course, the money thing as well. But, you know, back to uh, to what Sam was saying about uh, where to start, I think most definitely start with food, right? That's probably why that sprung up after that question. And then money's important, too, because the CBDC things are extremely alarming and you need money to trade and to keep things going and to fulfill your wants and needs and it's all like interconnected too. And then, yeah, finding people. What do you guys, out. what do you guys think of this gold back money that, you know, some people have been, you, when you go to these freedom, you know, festivals, some people like to trade that gold back, which is like gold money, backs. but it's back. Yeah. yeah. Gold back. Yeah, big in New Hampshire, the free, uh, the free state project. Sounds great. It's tradable. It's it actually yeah. is gold, right? Little slivers of gold. I think it's gold useful foil. and a solid deal. Yeah, I like silver dimes also. Nineteen sixty four and earlier dimes, half dollars and quarters are ninety percent silver. It makes a simple thing to trade that's easily recognizable and a hardcore felony if somebody counterfeits it. That's Ron Paul says. Like a silver dime is basically a gallon of gas. There you go. Always, yep. like always. Right. That's wild. Yeah, silver is a great currency. It always has been. And so we always have that parallel financial system right there. We could tap at any time because silver, I mean, it's not that hard to get, but it holds its value relatively well and it's easily divisible also. So we're talking a lot about par- our parallel food systems, but we've 
I think it's also important to how we purchase our food. You know, as John's t- touching on uh, money, you know, we have systems available there for pay- paying beyond fiat currencies that are pushed on us in the upcoming CBDCs that, you know, are inevitably coming at any time. We already have payment networks, not just cryptocurrencies, but in gold and silver already. But then we also have the new door of cryptocurrencies and especially the privacy oriented ones like Monero and Pirate Chain that really offer an alternative. The only thing holding them back right now is price volatility because it's hard to start a, it's hard to depend on a currency that is so volatile, whether it be worth twice as much tomorrow or half as much. It's hard to business to plan a business and invest with that kind of thing. But the only thing that's going to fix that is if we use it, if we get start using it as a currency and it will start to retain its value because people will be making investments with it and not able to sell it for, you know, they, they can't sell it for just whatever they get when they're just trying to, you know, profit off speculating off of it. You know, they're business planning around it and it has that liquidity of being bought and sold every day because people are using it for trade. So we have these systems we can lean on already, but nobody's using them. So when you're, trying to find a first step into entering a parallel financial system, start by just buying something with Monero. Uh, you can just Google Monero merchants. There's thousands of people that sell uh, tons of products for Monero. But what's more important than that is the next step for cryptocurrencies to really be a vol- uh, viable alternative to fiat is to start using them in personal, in real real life peer-to-peer transactions at your local farmer's markets with your neighbors and stuff like that. So it's hard to convince other people to do that, to to accept it. So you start selling your goods in it. You know, if you really believe in having an alternative financial system, start using it. Put your goods and services up for sale in cryptocurrency, even if you have to sell them right away to get your fiat back to make sure, you know, you have money to buy more products or whatever's necessary. But we like trading goods and services is one thing, but in order and we can survive like that, but in order to have a truly flourishing society, money is really important. You know, Mises taught us this in the Austrian theory of money. You know, money is wealth is not just created by, uh, you know, our physical labor. It's also created by our savings that allow us to invest into bigger things to make, you know, bigger businesses, bigger farms, bigger properties, whatever you're doing, those savings are key to investments and those investments are what raise our standard of living and make things cheaper. And if we're searching for an alternative system, I don't think we should just abandon money completely. I think that would be, you know, a step in the wrong direction. So as much as you can trade for goods and services, that's great. But I think we also have other alternative payment networks that are really great and not just payment network. There's lots of technology. I know we're talking a lot about getting away from technologies, but there are some really exciting technologies that are, up and coming that really people who want to find privacy and get away from, you know, this cloud system where everything you have is stored online. There's lots of innovation and self-hosting, you know, running your own servers. I know they're kind of noisy and kind of expensive right now, but they're getting cheaper and they're getting better all the time, but self-hosting different systems, whether it's security systems or your VPN or hosting your own email, these things are coming a long way and we could even create net little neighborhoods and networks where we're all running off the same servers and not Amazon web servers often wherever they're at, you know, and then there's a VPN technology. There's the mesh networks. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with mesh networks. It's kind of like spreading, spreading Wi-Fi signals, you know, buying little machines that spread Wi-Fi signals, you know, uh, well, it can be Wi-Fi or it could just be data from your computer. You can have a, 
computer that's sharing data with everyone in your network, everyone in your neighborhood, everyone who could pick up your Wi-Fi signal, they could get things off of your information off your computer and you guys can pass data back and forth just like an internet would, but just in your little local area like that, you know? But if you have more mesh network points, you can make it into a bigger network and stuff like that. So I really, I think our next stage in alternative systems is to fight the technology with the technology and really start embracing self-hosting mesh networks, cryptocurrencies, privacy technologies like VPNs and such. And we already have lots of great opportunities to do that. Now I really wish Gabriel was able to make it on from Watchmen privacy podcast. He's, he's the man to talk about this kind of stuff, but I think having technology using the technology to our benefit, I think is the direction we want to go, not just abandoning it. Can I ask a question? Um, what is the opinion of the panel on the best way to privately communicate online? Probably That's signal. a tough one. Yeah, signal is the best. Uh, no, I, I would I would lobby He's out on signal. signal. Okay, yeah, there, a telephone number exploits. reason. Yeah, is that- there's a, there's a couple of different exploits with Signal. The one that I found that I like the best is, is Element, the Matrix client, and it's got as far look there. The one thing that we tell people all the time is that there's no such thing as privacy. There's only operational security. Right. Uh, yeah, Go right. ahead. With within the within reality, I say pri- privacy yeah. with within yeah. the. Practical privacy. Right, exactly. Like if you're if you're you know, what's the best option we've got out there right now as a way to uh talk to one not that we're plotting and planning anything, but just because (laughs) it's none of your fucking business, that's why. When Edward Snowden comes out and pitches a product, I tend to back away from it. Okay. Well see, there you go. That's these are the rules I'm looking for. I'm looking for some guidelines so that I can adjust my critical thinking when I hear them talk about these new privacy products and and I don't know I'm not technical enough to know if they're bullshitting me or not. You know, I don't know what level I don't know if it's the CIA backing this shit. You know, have you ever had Gabriel Custodiet from the Watch Privacy? Oh, you must. You must. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll, can I I'll send you guys email. Please do. Do you want to hack on websites? or uh, messaging services that require a phone number, uh, a way to gain more privacy while using those is to go and get like a free internet number. It's also great when okay. you're just signing up with anything else, you know, there's gotcha. services like yeah, yeah. Yeah. apps yeah, on your it, phone. Yeah. As a lot of them, you have to use them like once a month or something. So you'll lose your number. So I've got like five internet numbers that when I sign up for stuff, I, I never gotcha. give my real number. Right. And so that's, that's what I'm nice looking for. Little hack around. I mean, it doesn't give that's you what complete I'm privacy. For. Do they, yeah, do they always a- work though? Cause like, I know with, when you go to a Bitcoin ATM, sometimes it's like, if you buy up to 500 bucks, all you have to do is put in a phone number. But I think they, they know within some databases, if it's a phone number that's tied to your ID. So is it more lax if we're just using like an online tool or something like that? I'm not, I'm not sure. I've never used it in like a KYC s- s- setting and I haven't used a Bitcoin ATM in a long time. That is concerning though. If they can, well, yeah, I'm sure they can tell because you can find lists of these, uh, the available, yeah, like, all the big, uh, telecom services probably yeah. reported in some big database or something. Yeah, well, so and that, I don't know if it's if it's stating the obvious or not, but if you're worried at all about signal or any of those other apps and you have an unsecured phone. Then it doesn't matter in the first oh, place. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got to do a de-googled phone. And I'm gonna use people like 
just talk to the person. It's not private unless it's actually right. like in person. And then even then, if you're like on a watch list or something, maybe your house is bugged, but it's all varying degrees, I guess. I'm going to use this to show Pirate Chain for a moment because Pirate Chain actually is a fully shielded, it's the most private blockchain in existence. And it has actually in its, when you're doing a Pirate Chain transaction, it has what's called a memo field where you can type anything in there. This is actually a really private way to send a message, but obviously every sending message to has to have a Pirate Chain wallet. But it caught, I mean, it does cost money, but it's a quarter of a penny to send a transaction. So Pirate Chain ultimately does work as a, you know, somewhat private, well, really private uh, messaging service. But the only downside is that that uh, message, whatever message you sent is stored on, you know, you're the only person that can access that unless you give your keys to someone else. But if your key to your wallet does get out somewhere, then whoever has access to that, you can't delete it basically. So, and it's not really good to have any type of, when you're trying to do privacy, you'd want to be able to delete something permanently, you know, but nobody else can see it and it's encrypted and shielded transactions and it only doesn't take very long and costs a quarter of a penny. So that's one option too. Are you guys coming to Anarchapulco this year? Yeah. Well, I, I won't be there, but uh, Amy Voluntary will be there. I don't know if you know her. She's great. She, uh, yeah. yeah, and we're also going, I'm speaking at uh, what's called Nonsensus in Phoenix on Halloween. We're going to be there. And then we're also going to a festival in Texas in two weeks. I don't even remember the name of it, but we'll have a booth there. We're speaking at Nonsensus, and then we'll be at Anarchopoco and... I have a booth at that event in Texas in two weeks. I'll find it in just a second. Is it yeah, Confluence? Confluence? Is that what it's uh, called, Daniel? In Texas? Yeah, oh, I think it's a solar... Yeah, solar punk. That's it. Oh, We're going to cool. have a booth. We'll I'm not going to be there, but Amy, I'm going to be in Phoenix for Nonsensus, which is a conference put on by the Darrow Foundation, which is another privacy project they invite us to come. Right, right. But Amy and a few other people will be at the uh, uh, other two events. Summit. We're always looking for new event, you know, new events to go to keep our events name the out best. there, you know. So the yeah. virtual is awesome. great, but meeting up and hanging out, especially if it's like a festival type where you can sit around the campfire and shoot the shit, have a beer, you know, it's a good time. Yeah, I'm gonna try to make it to Anarcho Poco, but I'm just not positive. Yet. Awesome, a- Amy will be there though. So awesome. I ho- I will see you there. Um, let's yeah. let's wind it down then. So let's make sure that everybody gets a chance to. Uh, um, let them know where you, they can find you, John Bush. What's going on over at Live Free Academy? Hey, yeah, we actually so just wrapped up a you. workshop this weekend uh, called Bitcoin Basics for Boomers and Beginners, and I had the honor of teaching boomers and seniors uh, over the course of two days um, how to set up Bitcoin wallets, how to onboard, uh, taught them about Monero, taught people how to use localmonero.co where you can buy privately without having to do KYC. And uh, there was like 218 people on the Zoom call at the time. And, you know, it got a little overwhelming for folks at times, but we always talk about the importance of mindset and like taking a deep breath. And if you struggle with technology, understand that this could be a challenge, anticipate that and still push through it. And so it was a great success and really fulfilling to see people get like all excited and Eureka, aha, it works. And then I sent a dollar worth of Bitcoin cash to everybody so they could practice receiving coins and, and selling them. Anyway, that was really special. But um, if anybody wants to follow the work we do, we help people create greater freedom, prosperity and community through online courses, workshops, in-person events. Uh, we have a thriving community of people. 
Uh, we do a daily email newsletter if people want to register for that at uh, libfree.academy slash email, libfree.academy slash email. And thanks, y'all, for, for inviting me on. This was fun. Sorry I came late. I, I got no the problem. We're, mixed up. We'll, we'll take what we could get. We're glad cool. to have you. And yeah, don't be afraid of the technology. I know it sounds scary if you're old. It sounds scary to me. I'm bad with technology. But Ber- Berwick forced me to get on the Monero train and the Bitcoin train. train. So, so um, you know, you can't, you know, I can't hang out with him and not have some. And Pirate Chain, too, for that matter. So, um, Steve Poikinen, what's cooking over at AM Wake Up? Oh, my goodness. You guys are going to want to be, if you're listening to the, the live broadcast, you're going to want to be around for tomorrow morning. Uh, every Tuesday, we're joined by Ryan Christian from Last American Vagabond. And tomorrow, Chris and I, Chris from the Randout Rancast, and I are going to be uh, joined by not just Ryan, but but by America's shaman himself, uh, Jake Angeli Chansley is, is coming on the show. Okay. And he's, he's gonna, he said he's going to be on for all three hours, and everybody's got a whole lot of questions, and I was at the Capitol on January 6th, and I know what I saw from my perspective. So it should be should be pretty interesting. Monday through Thursday, 7 to 10 a.m. on the West Coast, we're live doing uh, uh, just about everything all at once. It's it's kind of overwhelming. It's fantastic. We're we're hitting the solutions extra hard. Uh, as, uh, you know, we go into another nonsensical nonstop selection season with a bunch of buffoons trying to act like they're going to run for president or some nonsense. So we're, we're talking solutions that don't have anything to do with, with that, with, you know, with that. And, uh, yeah, you should come by for it. Go to amwakeupshow.com for everything. You're allowed to have fun while you're getting solutions. It's true, and we have too much of it all day. Lanny, can we just real quickly have you explain how you you teach people how to do the things that you do? Can you tell yeah. them where to find your work and where sure. to support Greener Postures? Sure thing, yeah. Greener Postures, you can find my podcast anywhere, the Greener Postures podcast. Greenerpostures.com slash workshops is where you can find the workshops that I do on fermentation and food preservation. But I'm very excited to announce, I haven't even told Monica yet, that I have a brand new website called preservingtoday.com. And that's going to partner with my YouTube channel, Preserving Today. So I'm going to have videos showing how I do stuff and then really long articles of all the details of why I do the things I do and how I do them. And so people can have a fuller understanding instead of just follow these directions just like this, which is what my workshops are about as well. And so preservingtoday.com, check that out. I'm just getting started. Got about 10 uh, articles up there already. And I'm happy to be able to share somewhere where it's free for everybody to just come if you want to learn and reach out to me and sign up for my mailing list and stay in touch. Right on, right on. What about you, Monica? What's cooking over at Deep Dives? Oh, thank you for asking. Well, last Union of the Unwanted, I think I've interviewed like half the people on there since then. I did a deep dive into the American mind with T. Snyder. I did. Yes, I had Shelby, unjected Shelby from Maui. Talk about her journey and the state of Maui right now. And uh, Courtney Turner and I did Tavistock 101 which you might be interested in. It's, you know, I don't know Always. if you've ever experienced the Courtney Turner fire hose, but this is like <laughs> <laughs> just volume one of Tavistock 101 is two parts. But I mean, if you want to know, want the answer to the question of who is they, that would be a good place to start. Right 
on. We are. I dig it. I love Tavistock talk. I'm such a dork. Parallel it's Mike. So obvious. What is cooking? Um, wh- who's coming up on the podcast? Um, Lani, actually. <laughs> Lani's my next guest, I think. So yeah, I had a great conversation with Lani just today and uh, I love the work she's doing. So that was a cool one. You've been on, Charlie, yeah. uh, right now on the uh, Parallel Systems broadcast, which is my finance and uh, yeah, Parallel Systems podcast where I'm looking to try and help people figure out what comes next. We're digging deep into something called The Great Taking, which is probably the most important story in the world right now that nobody's talking about, which is a book that was released by a hedge fund manager, an ex-hedge fund manager called David Webb, which details the uh, push to collateralize and rob us of all of our assets in the coming financial crash. So I'm kind of picking that apart on my Parallel Systems channel. So if that sounds like something you want to learn about, you can go check that out. Uh, and yeah, on the podcast, I'm doing a lot of deep dives on the history of of central banking and trying nice. to decode how this whole shitstorm came to be. So yeah, there's plenty out there. Just search Parallel Systems or Parallel Mike, you'll find me. And yeah, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it, everyone. Thanks for being a big part of this episode. And thanks to uh, a special thanks to Monica for putting this all together too, because this was her idea and it was a fantastic idea. And I think when we get our heads together, we we know some interesting people. And thanks to Matt Raymer from contentsafe.co and Sam Tripley over at Tinfoil Hat. He's uh, he's talking, he's doing seven podcasts. What do you want? He's got to drop off. Uh, Ricky, what's going on over at Ripple Effect? Who's, um, let me guess, you've got uh, Tucker Carlson or some some impossible get. Joe Rogan's coming on. I've not done anything that big quite yet, but uh, uh, yeah, well, I, Mickey Willis is coming back on. That's uh, oh shit! You're going to be put on the list. That didn't that get your didn't that get one of your episodes dinged before? Yeah, that was actually uh, during the COVID lockdowns. It was that episode, and then Dale Big Tree that disappeared from iTunes. Magic. Ah, uh, mm, very suspicious. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, he'll be back. Um, I think uh, actually, I think your buddy and our buddy. Uh, Tony Merkel's actually going to make his first appearance on the show. Sweet. And uh, I also think I'll be hooking up with uh, Charlie and Mike soon to talk about some nonsense. That is correct. Really? And um, I don't know. And then I just uh, uploaded a uh, Brian Festa episode today, which uh, was really good and, and important because we talked a lot about, of course, medical freedom and uh, yeah. a lot of lawsuits he's involved uh, with. And uh, he's a, a regular on this show. Uh, yeah. And we, the Patriots USA, I know a lot of people are dealing with issues uh, at work or school or whatever. Um, if you had adverse reactions or whatnot, please uh, check out, you know, uh, we, the Patriots USA dot org, I believe, and they'll definitely help you out. So do that. But yeah. And then, um, you know, I'm sure I have some other people booked that I've completely forgot about. So I try not to get too ahead of myself uh, and just kind of live in the moment and not do research too early but um yeah the ripple effect podcast.com and also thanks pasta we uh what was the last episode we were talking about the shout out that sam gave yes 
Pasta threw out a shout out on uh, Pasta, of course, a friend of ours, and also, um, you know, hosts uh, AM Wake Up uh, sometimes with Steve, and uh, was recently doing Jimmy Dore, hosting Jimmy Dore, and brought up the You Have Been Wanted and gave a shout out. So we're uh, we're growing. Well, we're all uh, we're look all- at us all fancy getting mentioned on these big shows. We're gonna have to change our name. We can't be unwanted anymore. We're, I know. It, this is a, a a golden era for OBDM with the amount of UFO news <laughs> in the headlines these days. This is this is just a gravy train. It's an embarrassment of riches over there. It's too much. I'm stopping. It's uh, it's ridiculous, and uh, you just tread the same topics over and over again. There's no new answers, so I'm moving on to different topics until there's real UFO news, <laughs> or I'll look to Good the past, you. but. Uh, uh, yeah, you can go to obdmpod.com or ourbigdumbmouth.com. We're on Rumble. You can search for OBDM. We stream live Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and noon on Saturdays. It's just a, a pulpery of craptastic fun and topics. And uh, we hit it all. The depressing current events and the wacky and everything in between. Absolutely. It's the best show in the world, in my opinion. And and he really means that because that's actually how we all became friends. <laughs> I, I love that show. It's so funny. I did a show uh, and Charlie emails me and says, hey, you were just on my f- favorite show. And uh, I'm like, OBDM, it's your favorite show? He's like, yeah. Uh, so he's not. I have, I'm have. i a part of three podcasts and my favorite show is OBDM. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Um, macroaggressions. I've got Richard Grove coming on. I've got Brad from Five Times August coming on. And I just uh, started a new Rumble channel because, you know, we have to sort of plant our material wherever we can. So I know I'm probably building it on quicksand, but you do what you got to do because you got to get the word out. So anyway, if you're on Rumble, if you watch these, uh, if you watch videos over there, consider finding macroaggressions and subscribing. I certainly would appreciate it. Uh, thanks, everybody. All right, don't forget. Can I plug something real quick? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I want everybody to come visit us at pirate.black. That's the official Pirate Chain website. Oh. And come, there's links to Telegram and uh, Discord on there where we'd love to have more people show up. And we're also going to be at uh, Nonsensus in Phoenix on Halloween, Solar Punk Summit in. Uh, Texas in a couple weeks and also at uh, Anarchapoco. And I also wanted to tell everybody about an event we're doing called uh, Pirate Black Friday. We're doing the week after uh, Thanksgiving. We're having sales, gives, giveaways, and uh, lots of good deals for uh, merch uh, products sold with pir- bought with Pirate Chain. So we're going to have lots of good deals. So come check us out on our website and we'll have lots of things going on at the end of this year. Thanks for having me yep. on, everybody. Thanks for being on. Berwick told, got me turned on to Pirate Chain. A couple years ago so yeah he's the man yeah, yeah he loves you guys i mean listen he's all about privacy so if yeah he, he's done he knows a lot more about it than i do but if he's into it you know I, I tend to at least pay attention yeah he's done quite a bit for us well thanks for coming on everybody yeah thank thanks you so much. Everyone. Thanks, monica again great idea thanks y'all thanks monica bye good job